Howdy and welcome to your dog's best life. This is Leanne. Uh, today we are going to explore a concept that is really fuzzy and probably not well understood and incredibly important to your dog's training. And that is your dog's relationship with you. Now, there are a lot of ways we can look at this. And so I want to kind of explore this so that everybody's on the same page when we're talking about these kinds of terms, because relationship, quote unquote, can be a very fuzzy, fluffy, fraught term all about, does she love me and stuff like that. This is not about love. It's not about emotion. It's about relevance. So if we look at this from a purely behavioralism sort of worldview, uh, when we talk about relationship, what we're talking about is where does your dog find the most rewards in their life? If we look at it uh, through a deeper lens, um, you know, what is the genetics of your dog vis-a-vis -vis the relationship with their human being and or the genetics of your particular dog or how they were raised? And all of these matter depending on what you want to do with your dog. So first, a little bit of a definition. When I talk about relationship, what I'm referring to is the amount of attention that your dog will give you when they are faced with an environment that is full of distractions. So what I mean by that is if I take my dog to a highly distracting location, will they remember I exist at all? Uh, how often will they check in with me? What is their response to a cue if I were to give one and they knew the behavior that I was asking for, etc.? Everybody has different relationship expectations with their dog. And again, this is not about love. This is about attention and focus. So as an example, uh, my one of my dogs, Ketchum, my 13-year-old Border Collie, uh, our relationship is very um, kind of basic, kind of a basic human-dog relationship. She does dog things, and my only expectations for her is that she comes when called. And actually, I just noticed the other day she's losing her hearing. So now it's come when she's called multiple times and happens to be facing me. But she finds the environment very distracting and very interesting and lives most of her life without input from me or necessity of coming to me for any help or assistance. Uh, she has a very independent life. She does her thing. She's happy but we don't have a really close working style relationship. Uh, Billy the kid is also very similar to that. She's my livestock guardian dog. She, she, if I go outside and she sees me, she comes roaring up to me and she flops on her back and wants to get petted and she hangs out with me for a couple seconds and then she's off to do Billy the kid things. So that's the, where our relationship lies. And that is a very satisfying relationship for both of us. That is absolutely what I want from her. And obviously it's what she expects and wants from me. So it's not about good and bad or, or poor or, or good or, I mean, it's not about that. It's not about quote unquote love. I, Billy the Kid is the coolest dog. I absolutely adore her, but that's our relationship. Our relationship has, I think, two cues that she will respond to, come and sit that turns into a flop. And that's pretty much it. And she does not dote on me. She has no attention for me. I am pretty relevant for the first couple of seconds I'm outside or I appear in her in her environment. But after that, eh, I, I kind of lose relevance for her. 
On the other hand, with the dogs that I want and need to have a working relationship with, I want and need a huge amount of attention paid to me in all circumstances. I need to be the thing that they see as the most relevant in their environment because their environment is filled with sheep and sheep are kick-ass. So I need to be cool enough that I can call them away from sheep and they'll listen to me because, well, sheep are cool, but so is mom. And that brings me to the situation I'm dealing with with my new puppy, Matilda. So I got Matilda a month ago. She came, she's seven months old. She came from um, a great circumstance. Just the woman had a, a personal issues that she suddenly couldn't keep the dog. So it's not like she's a hoarding case or anything ridiculous like that. This is a well-raised, well-started puppy uh, with a wonderful engaged owner and just life happened and she couldn't keep her. So I took in Matilda, seven month old, spitfire of a border collie puppy. Oh my God. She's like the most active puppy I think I've ever owned. And she could give two craps about me at all. And this is not about, oh, she's the new owner. This is about her relationship with period, with people, period. I suspect if you were to ask her former owner and define this, it'd be very similar situation. So what I mean by that is Matilda has done a fantastic job uh, through circumstances prior to my arriving and what I've seen since she's arrived here of doing, of finding a lot of excitement outside of me and outside of my control. Well, I can change the control. We'll get to that. So as an example, when she's in the house, she's instantly up on every counter she can get onto. She's jumping onto chairs. She's jumping on, She tried to jump onto the dining room table. Uh, she's just everywhere but me. Uh, I don't think I see her beady little eyes ever. If you call her, she runs away or builds space between you and her because she doesn't want to do whatever it is you're going to do because it's going to wreck her fun. And since I just described part of what her fun is, you could kind of see why. Outside, I completely disappear. And even if I'm chasing, even if we're playing ball, which is not a game I advocate a lot, but I have to do something because she's on house arrest. Uh, she doesn't bring the ball back to me. She brings the ball back to nowhere and then drops it. And then Ruby, my Aussie, brings it the rest of the way back. So when we work on things in the house... As an example, when I first started working with her, because I the recall is a big problem for me. Uh, we really need to have a recall. Uh, she just can't function in my world without a, a dead dead drop recall. Uh, she just needs to have a recall that's just astonishing. And she has zero. In fact, she has like the antithesis of a recall. So we started working on that. And right away, I noticed that she has no work ethic. And I do not mean she has no work ethic for the things she wants to do. Oh, she is full on committed to any sort of felony she's up to. It's the work ethic of, that I want to do. She won't take treats from me for more than a minute and a half. She won't stay focused on me for a minute and a half. When we start playing uh, tug games in the house, she, once she won, quote unquote, the tug from me, she'd take off with it. So she found me to be the least engaging and important part of her environment. And that is incredibly problematic for me because I can't, I can't be that for a dog that I want to do the things that I want to do with her. 
And again, she can't have a life until she has a recall. So where do you start with a dog like this? Where do you start with a dog who, when you take him on a walk, never once recognizes that you're at the end of the other, other end of the leash? Where do you go with a dog who doesn't recognize you at all and you have to kind of trap them in a corner of the dog park to get them out? Well, I start, I do kind of a three-tiered system. That's what I'm using with Matilda. Actually, we'll call it three prongs. It sounds much more official. So the three-prong attack to trying to get, insert myself in Matilda's life in a relevant way. Maybe just four prongs. We might have to count prongs later on. So anyway, um, the first is food. Yeah, it's easy. Food. So the first time I tried to use food with her, I sat down in the kitchen and I started off with something incredibly simple. I sat down with her bowl of food and all she had to do was stick around and I'd feed her treats by hand. That was it. I didn't call her name. I didn't ask for any behavior. All I did was say, will you stay here and orient and hang out with me if I hand feed you your kibble? And the answer was no. She would stick around for two or three kibbles and then she'd wander off and get distracted. So we had to do a little bit of tough love. I put her food away and said, well, sucks to be you. I'll see you in the morning. And that was it. Then the morning we'd come around and I tried it again. I sat down with her food, her bowl of food, and she was willing to stick around for 20 or 30 before she checked out. And again, the, all she had to do was hang out. She didn't have to do any behaviors. I wasn't asking her to sit or come or training or anything new. All she had to do was pretty much hang out next to me and get fed. And she still couldn't even focus long enough to do that. So the food went up. We tried again in a couple hours. Rinse and repeat. And I keep trying that and keep doing it until I can finally get a dog who will stay until most or all of her food is gone, depending on my mood. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm never going to feed her from a bowl again, but it certainly means that for the time being, a lot of her food is coming directly from me by hand because I need her to orient on me and understand that I'm the cool one, not the bowl. So that's the first thing. The second thing was play. I really love to use play. I think play is so, so valuable. And I think that many people make a mistake especially with these high drive dogs by utilizing play in a manner that does not build that relationship. And by that, I mean, they just throw a ball and then it's not really about you. It's about the ball. And I, I don't want to be about the object. I want it to be about me. doesn't mean I won't start with an object. So with Matilda, what we did is we I sat on the floor. I grabbed a squeaky toy like a tom- I use those skinnies, those uh, long dead, I call them roadkill critters, those little roadkill skunk or roadkill squirrel or whatever it is. And they're usually flat, maybe have crinkly stuff in them and a couple squeakies. So I use those for tugs. I don't own Malinois or Pitbull or anything like that. I own Border Collies. So all she had to do was stay engaged in the game. And in her case, uh, we would play the tug for a couple seconds and actually she wouldn't tug. If I pulled on the, t- on the tug toy, she'd drop the toy and just stare at me. So first I had to build tug and I did that by the slightest effort on her part, one quote on her, quote unquote, her, the tug. Now, when she won the tug, we had a new problem. The new problem was she then took off with the tug and never came back. Well, that's an easy solution. You put the dog on a string. 
So I put Matilda on a leash because, well, now Matilda's living on a leash all the time anyway. So I put her on a leash so she couldn't take off. Yeah, I let her have her tug for a couple seconds. She gets to parade around with it. Ooh, I've got my tug. I've got my tug. But then right away, I'm going to start reaching for it. And I'm going to act all coy and silly and stocky. Like, ooh, I, I'm going to come and get your toy and and make a game. You know, make it a game. I'm not taking away from her. I'm playing the game of keep away. Only she can't cheat by taking off and running around the house with it. The game is you hold the toy with your teeth and your body and I try to get it. You don't get to just take off like a monster. So over a period of about four or five, maybe six evenings of practicing this right before the whole dinner expedition, uh, we, we developed a game where we'll play tug and now she'll bring the toy back because she has learned that the best part of the game is actually the tug of war and playing with me. And I'm really happy with that because that's a huge thing from a puppy who, if I pulled a little bit, would just drop the toy or a puppy who I'd, she'd win quote unquote, and then she'd take off with the toy. So now she's, she's figured out that the toy is best played with another, another person. So that's my kind of second tier. My third tier is actually just hanging out together, sitting down and cuddling. Now, she hates that too. <laughs> She's like, this sucks. So I had to find a th- some part of the cuddling that she really loves. So in her case, she kind of likes it when you scritch her back really hard. You know, you kind of make a little tarantula hand and just scritch her back up and down her spine. And then she's all happy and she arches her back into that and she really enjoys it. From there, she flopped onto her back at one point. I was able to tickle her. We did a little bit of gameplay. And that way I can introduce playing with me without a toy, which is also really powerful. So I want her to understand that she can hang out with me But I also want her to understand that we can play without toys, that play is about me, not an object. And, you know, we'll still work on that. And that doesn't mean I'll never use an object, but the object should be about me, not just the sake of the object. And she's starting to get much better at that. She's starting to pick up the object. And if I don't play, she kind of puts it down and walks away because what's the point? So those are the first three. So food and you can call it bribery, you can call it whatever you want, but you know, that's the reason your dentist gives you, not your dentist, your doctor used to give you a lollipop. You know, he wants you to, he wants you to like him. The second one is play. We start with a toy. We start with tug. Uh, we start with silly shit on the floor. And then we, from there we move into hopefully just me being able to tickle her and play that way, baggy mouth or whatever she chooses to play. The third is just hanging out, just cuddling and hanging out and being a dog and accepting pets and being willing to stand still for the couple seconds that I want to pet her. The fourth is I need to be the thing that brings the cool stuff to her. So again, this is a very outwardly oriented dog for her. Everything in the house is about how do I get on the counters? How do I get, she's exploring all the time and that's all outward facing. And yes, it means she's incredibly bold and that's fantastic. But I need her to also explore towards me. She needs to find me as a solution to her problems, not the external world. So I'm going to bring up puzzle toys here for a second because I think there is something to be said for our obsession currently with puzzle toys. 
I like puzzle toys. I'm not opposed to puzzle toys. However, I believe that the excessive use of puzzle toys in the absence of a, a deep and rewarding relationship with your dog will teach your dog to solve problems on their own. And I love that, but I need her to solve problems through me as well. So I'm going to give you an example of, of what I mean by that. Uh, I sat down on her, the, the bed, Cody's bed, which is right next to Matilda's crate upstairs in our bedroom. And so I'm sitting on Cody's bed and I've got Matilda and I have her dog food and it's on top of her crate. And all she has to do is hang out with me and accept treats. All I want from her is to orient on me. And, but the food is on top of the, the dog crate. And it's one of those cheap wire crates. She spent easily half an hour trying to solve the problem of how to get the food off the crate. She went under the crate. She went into the crate. She went around the crate. She tried to climb the crate. She did every single thing except look at me. Not one time did it occur to her that I might have the solution to the dog food on the crate. Finally, when she did look at me, I marked yes and paid her with some food from the top of the crate. And she followed my hand to the top of the crate with her eyes and immediately went back to trying to solve the problem of the crate kind of in my absence, as it were. And we worked at this for about, I want to say, 45 minutes is how long it took her to eat uh, probably about half of her food at a handful at a time by me delivering it by her looking at me instead of trying to solve the problem of the crate by actually trying to solve the problem of the crate. And that is one place that I think that we can really be strong advocates for our dogs and teach our dogs that they don't need to always look outward for a solution. I need to be the solution. I need to be part of the solution for her. Yeah, I need her to also know how to problem solve on her own, but there are a lot of problems that these dogs are going to face in life that they cannot solve on their own. How to deal with a car, not really a dog, not really in the dog's wheelhouse as it were. Um, she can know how to handle a single sheep, but she doesn't know where I'm taking the sheep. So she needs to defer to me and understand that I have the solutions too. So just setting up little things like that were really obvious to me that she really had no clue that I could hold any solutions or any value for her. And this is quite a process that I've, I've never faced a dog that was this independent minded that I needed to train. Uh, like I said, Billy the kid, my livestock guardian dog is very independent minded, but she's supposed to be. It is her job to solve all the world's problems because I'm not going to go out there and find coyotes and hunt them and chase them away for her. That's not my job. But telling the border collie where to take the sheep, that is absolutely my job. And when to stop working and when to start working and all of that, I have to be a part of the picture. And it's really fascinating watching Matilda try to problem solve in the absence of the human being in the room. So I think that and it'll be interesting to see, because like I said, I've never worked with a dog, a personal dog, that, A, no one comes to me with, with this problem. No one comes to me and says, my dog, my dog's relationship with me is not exactly what I want. You know, most people come with a specific behavior that are trying to fix. And yes, I can define this as a bunch of different behaviors. She checks out when she's training. She checks out when we're playing. She checks out when we're trying to 
be, you know, cuddle. She's busy all the time. She's on every countertop. You know, I can describe this as 50 different behaviors, but fundamentally at the core of this problem, what I see is that the fundamental foundational skill of seeing me as an absolutely relevant and important piece of the picture is missing. And it could be genetics. It could be an accident of how she was raised. I mean, I, I don't know where it comes from, but the fact is I've, I have it now and I have to deal with it. And so the way I'm dealing with it is this kind of four-pronged approach of insisting on my relevance with food, playing with her in a way that makes me the coolest thing in the room, showing her that I'm the access through which she gets to go do good things. So if I want to go to the sheep, she can come with down to the sheep, but she doesn't get to do it by herself. If she needs to go in with the sheep, she's coming into the sheep with into the going into the sheep with me, not by herself. If she wants to go outside for a walk, well, she's got to do it through me, etc. This is not about nothing in life is free. That process, I'm not asking her to sit for everything or anything like that. Um, in the house, she has total freedom to kind of do what she wants within the range of her leash, which is about six feet. But if she wants treats on top of the table, she's not allowed to cruise around on top of the table to find them. She's, she's got to stay on the floor and maybe she'll offer behavior to me. And if she offers me a behavior, by God, she is getting those treats because that tells me she's starting to comprehend the idea that I see something good in life. And instead of solving the problem myself or proactively attacking the problem by being kind of a bull in a china shop and climbing on the furniture, I'm going, which the human keeps interrupting and ruining for me, I may be going to appeal to the human instead. So that's what I'm referring to when I'm referring to relationship. And again, it's not about love or loyalty or any of that fuzzy, fluffy, pink heart stuff. It's much more about how important I am to her continued existence. And I liken it to our own relationships with other people. We have all sorts of different kinds of relationships with other people. And it could be anything from the spouse or the parent or the child where you kind of need that person to need you as much as you need them all the way down to the mailman where they don't need you at all, <laughs> you, but you need them. And, but the needs that you have from them are incredibly minute and it's very narrow and just within that realm is fine. And that's the same kind of relationship you can have with your dogs. With, with Ketchum, my border collie, my older senior border collie, our relationship is very, very foundational for her being a dog and not really needing me in her life. She doesn't, she can totally externally focus doesn't affect our relationship at all because she's living her happy dog life and she has no job that she needs to do for me. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a part, a big enough part of her life to feel like I need to impose myself in her, in her life choices, as it were, as long as they're safe and within reason, she can do dog things and carry on with her life. But with the border collies that I need to work with and do jobs with, I absolutely have to be not the center of their world, but certainly enough of a piece of their world that they understand that the solutions in the world come from me. So I always joke that Cody would run over my rotting corpse to get to sheep and be like, ooh, I hope somebody else is going to come along and feed us. 
But she also, if you put a puzzle toy on the ground, the very first thing she'll do is look at me. Be like, mm, shouldn't you solve this? And she, you know, if I sit down, she comes to me. If I put on my shoes, she comes to me. She doesn't go to the door. She knows that I'm putting on my shoes and it's me who's going to open the door. The door's not going to open itself. And it's me that needs to go open the door. Uh, so anyway, I'm hoping this makes some sense. Uh, if you want to follow along, we are going to probably talk about this a little more on Facebook in the coming months. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's kind of fuzzy and nebulous, like I said, but we probably will talk about it because I think it's relevant. I see it a lot with people who struggle with loose leash walking because a lot of times in the case of loose leash walking, the dog has totally checked out the human being and it's just essentially dragging them along like they're a cart. And that is a, in that t- context, it's a relationship issue. If that's how you want to look at it. Again, this is the lens I'm looking at. That's how I'm defending, defining it. You can define this however you want and, and put it into whatever verbiage makes you happy. It, it's not about the words we used. It's about the behaviors that accompanying, accompany that, that phrase or that definition. So anyway, um, I will say that I think we as human beings kind of err on the side of accidentally wrecking our relationship with our dogs by taking them to dog parks where they can check us, check out, taking them on walks where we don't pay attention, don't ask them to pay attention, things like that. So just pay attention to, I said that way too many times, uh, to what it feels like and are you a part of your dog's life and if not, how can you build that relationship and make yourself more relevant? Be aware, having said that, that certain breeds and certain expectations are different. Uh, Hound dogs don't need you. You just point them in the direction of whatever they're going to sniff or sight and they're off. Terriers were never bred to really care about you or your feelings or your ridiculous commands. That's not what they were bred for. But these herding dogs, these working breeds, they were absolutely bred to have a deep, and meaningful relationship with us that is mutually relevant and mutually beneficial and that is both give and take and that is why those are the breeds that you see doing the hard jobs as it were the barn the the protection work and the herding and all of that those are all those breeds of dogs that doesn't mean you shouldn't have a relationship with your terrier and I think terriers can have incredibly very focused relationships on their owners because their owners are smart enough to have recognized that the thing the terrier wants to do the most is chase and destroy stuff. And if you have the access to the stuff, your terrier is all in on doing anything for you, which is why you'll see so many Jack Russell Terrier actors. It's because they're so easy and fun to train because they they do the things because they want the things, if that makes sense. And by creating a relationship where we contain or we control the access to the things, uh, that's where that relationship is built and becomes strengthened. And then the dog sees us as the venue for all that is awesome in their world. So anyway, I'm hoping you enjoyed our podcast today. I hope it was somewhat relevant for you and your dog. And if you have any questions, please feel free to message us on Facebook. It is Empire Ridge Ranch is my personal business Uh, Facebook page. What was I going to say? Oh, our April challenge. If you're listening to this in April, 2021, yikes, 2021 is recall. So we are doing that all month long on our Facebook page. And last, 
I need to say, if you like this podcast, please rate, review, share, subscribe. Oh my God, for the first time ever, I got all four of those right. Oh yeah. Okay, happy training and I'll see y'all later. Bye.